Well, if you'd please find a copy of God's Word in the pew in front of you or on the pew beside you or perhaps your own and turn to Luke chapter uh, 1, rather, Luke chapter 1. This morning we are continuing our Advent series. Advent means coming. Christ has come once and He's coming again at the end of all time to renew all things. Uh, This morning we are looking at the birth of John the Baptist. And tonight, Lord willing, we will be looking at the birth of Jesus at 5.30. I hope to see you here. Bring your kids, uh, bring your neighbors, uh, and come and hear about the Lord and His birth. Before we read, however, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Our Lord and our Father, we pray that You would send forth Your Holy Spirit to help us to understand this text. Father, a story that we've read many, many times in our lives, may it be fresh to us again. Grant anointing to the the preacher and hearer alike. We pray all these things to the glory of Christ. Amen. Reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 and following. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and redeemed His people. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. I want us to put ourselves in Zechariah's shoes. A godly man, a priest, an old man. An old man who had seen an angel, the angel Gabriel, in the holy place in the temple. The one time in his life that he got to go in there to burn incense before the Lord. Now, when the angel Gabriel told him that his wife, his old and barren wife, would conceive and bear a child, not just a child, but a son, a very special son, who would be the prophet of the Most High, 
even though he was there in the temple with an angel standing before him, he did not believe and asked for a sign. And since then, because of his unbelief, he had been silent and mute. And not only that, but from the text today, we see that he was not only silent and mute, but he was also deaf. He was deaf because they had to make signs to find out what he, want, what they, what he wanted to have the child named. So for nine long months, not only being unable to speak to his wife, whom he loves greatly, to talk about the blessing, the exciting news that they were going to have a child after all these years, he can't even hear her voice. Zechariah was a priest and educated. He could write, but could Elizabeth? We, we don't know. How could they communicate? Mary, his wife's relative, had been in the house these last few months and was possibly even there for the birth. She came in Elizabeth's sixth month and she left three months later. She might have been there for John the Baptist's birth. We, we don't know. But Zechariah, frustrated by living in silence, and unable to make any utterances come from his mouth, is surrounded by not one, but two pregnant women. Can you imagine being in the house with two pregnant women? In the small, small house in which they lived. One, a young, immaturish girl, unmarried, pregnant for the first time, without a husband to help care for her. The other, an old, old woman, also pregnant for the first time, comparing stretch marks, talking about the terrible things that were happening to them, the joys of being a mother for the first time, along with morning sickness, raging hormones, and poor Zechariah, even unable to speak. The diapers and toys from the baby showers, the nesting going on in the small house, and the late night trips to pick and save to get ice cream and pickles. And he couldn't even talk to his buddies over a clay mug of wine at night. He did not have a voice. Surely a trial. But in the midst of this, the great joy that came that knowing after all these years, he was going to have a son. And a special son at that. And so we read in verse 57 that the great and promised day had finally come. Elizabeth had a child, a son, just like Gabriel had foretold. And in verse 58, we find that all her relatives rejoiced, for the Lord had shown her great mercy. All the years of waiting were over. All the years of social stigma attached to being barren, those things were over. Elizabeth was no longer barren. She was blessed by the Lord. But John still couldn't speak. In chapter 1, verse 20, the angel Gabriel said, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. The child had come. The baby was born. And yet Zechariah still could not speak. But there was one other thing that had to happen. It had been foretold and commanded by the angel. And that was the naming of John. This would happen on the eighth day. After the birth of a child in Israel, this will be done as, as well to Jesus as well. Upon his circumcision, he, the, children was, the children were named. Zechariah overjoyed for those seven days of the coming of his son, the coming of the forerunner of Christ, plodding away in silence, holding his baby, unable to sing to him, but able to cry over him in joy as he rocked him to sleep at night. And then the great day came. 
Eight days later after his birth, John was circumcised. He received in his body physically the marks of belonging to God's people, just like when we baptize infants. We don't believe it converts anyone, but it does demonstrate to the world that this child is different and belongs to the people of God, and God makes promises to His people and to their children. What a great day for John to receive this mark upon him. And so they turn to Elizabeth, what will be his name? Expecting her to say Zechariah, the name of his father. She says, no, his name will be John. And everybody wondered, why in the world would this be? And so they made signs, makeshift sign language to Zechariah. And he got a writing tablet and said, his name shall indeed be John. And this is when it happened. His tongue was loosed. His ears popped at the sounds of the crowds as they rushed into his ears, hearing the cry of his son. He could hear and speak again. And after waiting so many months to speak, you imagine he had thought long and hard what he was going to say. Would he congratulate his wife? Would he speak tenderly to his child? What does he do? He sings praises to God. He blesses the Lord. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. He might have had a moment of unbelief in the temple before the angel, but his thankfulness to the Lord had not faltered and he blesses the Lord here. Everyone wonders what's going on. Zechariah knows and he praises God for it. And all of a sudden, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen a lot of that lately. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit uh, last week when, when Mary arrived on the scene and she was able to perceive that the Lord, her God, was in Mary's belly. John the Baptist, in her womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit and certainly the Spirit inspired and came upon Mary as she had this fantastic psalm of praise called the Magnificat. We looked at last week. And here is Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He praises the Lord not really for the birth of His Son. He praises the Lord for what He is doing. And the coming of the Messiah, the one to whom John will point. And he has this fantastic nativity psalm. It's an Old Testament style psalm in which he praises the Lord in the first half. Praising Him for all that He has done and what He is doing for His people. God has visited His people and redeemed His people for He is raising up a horn of salvation. That might seem like a rather odd metaphor or, or symbol for Jesus. But you know the horn is the strong part of any horned animal, the business end. Just like an older buck will dominate the whole field of younger bucks because of the power and strength and size of his antlers here to the Messiah. A strong horn of salvation will rule and reign over the fields of the hearts of God's people now and forever. Raised up in the house of David through whom the Messiah would come, He would come to save His people from their greatest enemy, not the Romans. For God's people would live under the tyranny of many ungodly peoples from now until Christ comes again. There was a greater enemy at stake, a greater enemy at view. And it was our sin and our guilt, the fact that we deserve to go to hell because of our sins. He came to redeem His people and save His people from that, their greatest enemy. 
He did this according to the promises that He swore to Abraham, the father of God's people, so that they too, so that we might serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness all of our days, both in this life and in the next. And then we come to verses 76 uh, through 79. Verses worthy to be memorized. Some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. I know I say that every week, uh, but it really is true this time. Um, we have here two job descriptions. The first of John and then the Messiah, Jesus. You know, of all the things that have, uh, have uh, well, it's not quite the first century. It's a little bit before 0 B.C., we think. Somewhere in the 4 B.C. kind of um, time bracket here. Of all the things that a father could want for his son in a profession, being a prophet was not high up on the list. What do you want for your son? You want him to have a a successful business, at least a comfortable lifestyle with prospects of upward mobility, with good health and good dental insurance and and all those things, a a secure life with a good family and progeny to carry on your name. But, But God's people have a history of killing prophets of not listening to them, indeed of sawing them in two, a terrible way to go. And yet over his eight-day-old son, Zechariah prophecies over him, blesses him and tells him exactly what he's going to do. What is his job title? Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. The Most High is coming, and you're going to be his prophet. What's going to be your job description, son? Verse 76b, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. The word translated prepare here refers to an official process. Did you know that when the president travels, he doesn't just show up, right? Teams go out before him to prepare the way for his arrival, to clear any obstacles that bombs could be hidden behind. To vet those who would go before him and, and, and who would have audiences with him. It's a multi-week process in order to do it correctly. Anytime there's an official visit of a president or here a king, someone is sent forth to prepare the way. And in the old days they were sent literally to prepare the way, the road. To take out rocks and stones out of the, out of the road so that when his chariots went by he wouldn't be bouncing hitherto and yon. And here is John the Baptist preparing for the royal visit of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Most High God. This has been foretold, even as we heard in our Advent readings in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Do you think it's um, a coincidence that John's ministry would be in the wilderness? In the wilderness, repair the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Soon at Jesus' birth, the glory of the Lord would be revealed in the most surprising way. That it would be veiled. And that the God of the universe would come and be born and placed in a food trough. 
And yet the glory of the Lord shone in a field not far away as the angel appeared to the shepherds. What would John do? How would he prepare God's people? Well, he he wouldn't be a road worker. He came instead to preach. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. How was he to prepare for the arrival of the Messiah, the King? He was to preach. He was to preach the good news, the forgiveness of their sins. What did did John preach in the wilderness? He preached the gospel. The good news to, to the terrible reality that you and I are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death and, and deserving of separation in hell forever from a holy and righteous God. But the good news is that this holy and righteous God was coming to earth to achieve for His people the salvation and their forgiveness of their sins. He says, look and believe in the Messiah who is to come, whose straps of sandals I'm not even worthy to touch or untie. He's coming, y'all. And He's going to bring forgiveness of sins. Believe in Him. There's good news this day. John the Baptist was preaching the good news. He was pointing to Jesus. And it's His job description that we see in verses 78 through 79. Something was about to happen on earth. And it's because of who God is, was, and always will be. The sending of the Messiah wouldn't be to bring punishment and condemnation. Indeed, the sending of the Messiah was so that the Lord could punish His Son, so that we who deserve to be punished might be forgiven, reconciled, and declared to be the sons of God now and for all of eternity. And what is the basis of this? We have it here in our text. I love this. Verse 78, the tender mercy of God. The Greek literally says here, the bowels of mercy. Now, we talk about how it's deep in our heart, that we love someone from our heart. But in that time, you talked about your bowels, your gut. That's where you felt your love. It's hard to translate. It could mean merciful mercy, mercy, mercy. The heart of mercy, or my favorite, the limitless compassion of God. God looked down on His people who had rebelled against Him, and where I would have had great judgment and fury and wrath, He had compassion on us. And said, I'm going to sacrifice my only son according to my nature, so that these ragtag rebels who deserve my judgment and wrath forever might be called mine. This is what happens at Christmas. The Lord God would send His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those like you and me who are under the law, under its condemnation and curse. This is the good news. Because of the tender mercy, the limitless compassion of God. To whom would He bring this good news? To whom would His visit be? Verse 78b, Whereas the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We are the ones who, apart from Christ, are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. Darkness is not a good thing in Scripture. 
It's not like sitting in a deer stand in darkness waiting for the light to come to show the big buck in the field. It's like when we're awake at night unable to sleep because we're mourning and anxious and terrified and yearning and longing for light to come. To be in the darkness is to be defined by delusion, depravity, and despondency. We are lost in our sins and we are blind even to that reality. And yet here the Son of Righteousness... The sunrise shall visit us from on high. And when he does, he will bring salvation, healing in its wings, according to Malachi 4.2. And this, this light that he brings, that he brings in his, in his birth, his resurrection, and in our salvation, it's, it's not like a, a, the, the light on your, on your iPhone. It's It's bright. It's not even like the lights above you or the spotlights outside at night on our sign or, or the, the lights at Neil or Miller that are really bright. It's not even like the reflected light of the, the largest harvest moon you've ever seen. It is brighter than the sun itself. And it shines into our heart because He brings us salvation and joy. Who does He bring this to? Not to those who are deserving, but those who need peace. Because He came to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace with God. Reconciliation with Him. Those who need peace currently aren't at peace. That would be the definition of needing peace. We are not at peace with God. Romans 5.10 tells us that we are indeed His enemies. We are opposed to God and His rule and His reign. We want nothing to do with Him. and, And therefore we are justly under His wrath and curse forever. But God has sent His Son... To show us the way of peace, of reconciliation, peace with God. The place of peace is the cross. Where God's wrath is satisfied for what we deserve. And because He loves us, He he sacrifices His Son. He crushes His Son so that we might be forgiven. We who deserve to be crushed might have redemption, salvation. And that the light might shine in our hearts. This is what happens, this is what happened when the light of the world came into the world. John came to prepare the way for the royal visit of the King, our God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. He came to prepare hearts for for the coming of salvation. Has your heart been thus prepared this Advent season? Our word of the day is joy. This is what happens in our hearts when the Lord shines brightly in it. When the bonds of sin are loosed in our hearts and the guilt of sin is taken away from us. And God declares before us and all of creation that we are His sons. And He delights in us. He sings over us and He rejoices in us. He does this because of His tender mercy, His limitless compassion. Have you known this joy? This joy is free of charge. Salvation comes through forgiveness, not through works, not by being a good person, not by trying harder, not by being a good mama or daddy or son or daughter, not even having a perfect attendance record at at church. It comes through asking the Lord for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord. If you do that too, you may have the joy of Christmas, the joy of salvation. We're about to conclude our service with 124. Come thou long expected Jesus. 
It's a hymn that doesn't look to the first coming of Christ. and Indeed, it points us to the second coming. We long expect Him. We yearn for His return. By Thine own eternal Spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By Thy all-sufficient merit, raise us to Thy glorious throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that because of Your tender mercy, You have sent Your Son from on high, that we might have salvation. We rejoice and thank You. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.